but Canny Climate Dialogues podcast is presented by the University of Auckland's International Office. It's a real treat to have them on board as our presenting sponsor. Uh, they're quite literally the reason this podcast sounds so professional, um, mostly because it allows us to have Diego, our post-production editor, on board. Uh, so shout out to Diego. Um, and it's all they're also why we get to keep doing this. So thank you to the University of Auckland International Office. Um, and as you know, the University of Auckland's International Office is proud to sponsor the Candy Climate Dialogues podcast series. Um, New Zealand is a unique place to think about climate through the lens of their indigenous cultures. Uh, leading the universities in the Times Higher Ed Global Impact Rankings for the first two years of the rankings, um, as they work towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the international team at the University of Auckland share your concern, dear listeners. Uh, that's you. And they share our concerns about climate action and the intersection with international education. Uh, so University of Auckland doing the thing, answering the world's call. And so um, University of Auckland are not only our sponsor because they wanted to support us and that's certainly part of it, but we wanted them in our corner because really they're leading the way. So after our first season, it felt right to invite them as a guest on our show. So today's episode also features our main sponsors. But I just wanted to be clear, it's not at all a sponsored content episode. So now that that's out of the way, let's get it started. So welcome to the Canny Climate Dialogues podcast. This is the podcast at the intersection of international education and climate action. I'm CJ Tremblay, and today we are joined by the University of Auckland. You might remember them from almost all of our previous podcasts because, as mentioned, they're our sponsors. Um, I love that we have a presenting sponsor, so I'm just going to say it one more time. Makes makes me feel very excited, super legit for us. And today we're joined by our friends at the University of Auckland because, as you heard me say, and as you're likely aware, um, the University of Auckland was number one ranked school on the Times Higher Ed Global Impact Rankings for the first two years that the ranking existence. They really did a lot of trailblazing here. So this is a sector um, where they have this unique perspective. And today's episode features a conversation between the team at University of Auckland's international office and Elsa Lamont, the Canny co-founder and president of the board. Um, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a fly on the wall when a bunch of really smart and ambitious people get together to talk about changing things for the better, you're going to love this episode. Now, this is a bit different uh, because for this interview, I'm actually going to be a fly on the wall right alongside you because I'm not conducting the interview. So in this conversation that you're going to be hearing, uh, you're going to he be hearing from Brett Berquist, who's the Director of International at the University of Auckland, and Ainsley Moore, Deputy Director at the University of Auckland. Both Brett and Ainsley have been doing incredible work um, in this front on international side. So it's a real privilege to get to have them on the show. Um, I've had the opportunity to chat and work with both of them on canny initiatives. Um, as you may or may not know, the University of Auckland sponsored the Pioneer Sustainability um, category at their most recent awards, and the team remains active in supporting the awareness of the need to discuss this and take action at the highest level. So I don't want to tease it out any longer or keep you from it. So let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Here's the interview. Oh, hello, Brett. Hello, Ainsley. And it's great to have you on this podcast. And it's particularly wonderful because I think you at Auckland are such a great example for other international offices of the approach that you can take and how, just how much ambition and impact you can actually have 
driving out of an international office if you have the right attitude and the right partnerships in place and the right kind of strategy behind you. So that's what I want to unpack a bit today. Um, but first of all, before we start talking about your kind of sustainability and climate action journey within the international office at Auckland, I hear that the university itself has got a new name, and I feel like we should start with that. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that, please? I'll jump in. It's Waipapa Tomotoro, which is the name gifted to us by the local iwi Nati Patua Arake, and it's not just a direct translation of the University of Auckland, like the previous Māori um, name was. It is much more considered. It is a product of the relationship between the iwi and the university over time. It recognises where we are now and where we want to be. Waipapa is the name of the university's marae, which is a traditional Māori meeting house and a space that is important and sacred to the um, Māori students on campus. Tomata means peaks or high places, and it both reflects the fact that we're on top of a volcano, but also that peaks or high places are things that you aspire to. And so the, the name together um, has more meaning than just the University of Auckland. We're very proud that we've been gifted this name and are looking forward to um, continuing to earn it. Isn't that a fantastic kind of metaphor for climate action that you start where you are now and recognise what has got you to that point, but you have aspirations to get to higher places. So that's that's my little snappy aphorism, <laughs> if that's the right word for the day. <laughs> so, and I think, you know, obviously our canny Climate Dialogues listeners come from all over the world. So for those who might not be as familiar with New Zealand and the University of Auckland, do you want to just give a very sort of quick snapshot of where you are and how you fit into the ecosystem there? Because I think it's that's really an interesting context for when we delve a little bit more into some of the influence that you've been having around sustainability. Sure, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, yeah, the University of Auckland is one of eight public universities in the country. We don't have any private universities. Um, we're the largest with about 44,000 students. Uh, we're the only one ranked in the top 100 in the world, but all eight of our universities are really high quality. And interestingly, all eight universities came out in the top 300 in the Times Higher Education Global Impact Ranking. So each one of them has an interesting story around sustainability. We're situated in New Zealand. Auckland is the biggest city, for those of you who aren't down under. We're about a, a million and a half, um, and that's out of a country of five million. Um, and the landmass is greater than the UK, but about a tenth of the population. Um, and uh, interestingly, um, some interesting things in terms of our energy and things, uh, about 85 to 90% of our energy in any given day is renewable. Um, we're world leaders in geothermal energy uh, and a few other things in, in, that, in those areas we might get into in more detail. And then one last thing, um, you know, we are an island nation quite distant from our neighbours. And what we think of as a short flight, for example, if we were to hop across the ditch, which is what we call the Tasman Sea, Aussies and Kiwis call the Tasman Sea the ditch. If I was to hop across and see you in Melbourne for lunch, Elsa, um, it's about the it's same nice. flight. Yeah, not so possible right now, but it's about the same flight time as doing a, a, a New York to LA. So that's the distance to our nearest neighbors. And so what that means is when we do decide to go somewhere, everything's a long ways away. So the carbon footprint to get anywhere is pretty high. So it weighs heavily in our considerations. That's great. Thank you. And I think just an extra bit of context for our international ed friends around the world who might not all be completely aware of just how kind of isolated and locked down we are in this corner of the world at the moment, that it's not, we're not actually sending out students or bringing in many students because the, the international borders have been closed pretty much since the pandemic began. Is that, is that a fair summation of where you are? 
yeah, that's a very fair summation of where we are. Um, I'm very fortunate for the last oh, over, eight, over a year now, I've been working with universities in New Zealand on behalf of all eight universities to advocate with government about how we will enable students to return through New Zealand's borders during this pandemic stage and as we transition out. Um, thus far, uh, we've had about 1,250 students who are able to return, but very few who've been able to depart. Um, we took advantage of the brief trans-Tasman bubble, and right now I'm hosting about 50 um, students from Australia and a oh, wow. slightly smaller number who are, who are in your fair city in Melbourne. Wonderful. Thank you. That's good, because that's really useful context, I think, for when we look at what you've actually been working on in terms of sustainability and climate action over the last couple of years. So I want to kind of move on to that, because uh, about... November, I think it was November 2019, when we started working together around how to really look at the carbon footprint of the University of Auckland's international programs and what you could do to both reduce that, that footprint, but also to kind of use your influence and um, reach to to change policy within the university perhaps, or to advocate for different policies and to partner with other organizations. And of course, when we started that conversation, it was literally, you know, COVID-19 was probably just a twinkle in somebody's eye. I think it, it's a poor metaphor, but the, um, somebody somewhere in Wuhan had probably uh, identified that this might be a problem, but the rest of the world was blissfully ignorant. And I remember talking to some of your international recruitment team about how one of the ways to bring down emissions from an international office perspective was clearly to look at what, should, what main objectives could actually be achieved through virtual means. What could you do that didn't involve sending someone off on a plane to you know, sit at a student fair and talk to respective students or agents, where could things perhaps be increased on the digital side? And I remember talking to some of your team who were saying, yeah, we would love to do that. We would love to do more of that, but you know, there's resistance here, it's difficult there. And of course now, this last 18 months, we've had this incredible experiment, which has proven you know, irrevocably that so much of that work can actually be done differently. So can you, Talk me through how that's played out, and but more importantly, how you see that playing out in future once the pandemic eases. And of course, for many other parts of the world, people are students are flowing already. And um, so I, I think we can possibly learn some lessons from from them. But it's a really important time before we kind of open up again. So maybe, yeah, just some reflections on what, how that's gone for you and what, where you see it going next. When we look back at the roadmap you developed for us as a part of that exercise back in 2019, I know we were intent on reducing our printing and shipping, rebalancing the proportion of staff we have offshore able to travel with lower carbon cost and those who are onshore um, in New Zealand, um, looking at the small steps we could make and oh my goodness, Elsa, we just, we leapt right in. All of those small steps are big steps immediately. They were, they were yeah. <laughs> When we talk about virtual recruitment, that first six months, it was hectic. Everybody trying everything to see what would work, how we connect with students in a space where you didn't know how long you'd be at it for. But now we know we're going to be at it for a long time. This is not just a, a product of the pandemic. This is part of what will be the new normal for student recruitment going forward. So the way that we are making choices about where we invest in placing staff in country, questions about where we invest in which uh, fairs to attend, where to put our, um, our time, given that an awful lot of these recruitment fairs are in the middle of the mm -hmm. night and that wears on your staff. Um, we're making those those decisions now for the longer term, because this will be part of our engagement going forward, regardless of um, how borders and the movement of people eventuates in 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways, we've been looking at this um, 
you know, if I could do a Churchill accent, I would, but, you know, never waste a good crisis, silver lining, those sort of things. So I think the crisis has given everyone the opportunity to really pause and, and think about things differently. So as, as Ainsley was saying, we were able to take some immediate steps, um, but at a much, much faster pace. Um, and we're very engaged in sort of the emerging, not everything is new, but you know, the whole push into ed tech that everyone is talking about in our webinars and podcasts right now. We're in cahoots with you know, about a half dozen of those, sort of seeing what's going to work, different platforms, different approaches. And we spend a lot of time really solidifying the fact that when we do arrive at a new normal for New Zealand and new border settings, which is gonna take a while longer, um, we're not planning simply to revert back to normal. So we have taken some steps in the directions we discussed um, you know, when you first started working with us. Um, first of all, our travel agency now um, reports the carbon weighting when they give us a, a flight proposal. They've also developed a whole guideline as to you know, what we can do and be thinking about there. That's a huge difference. Remember how difficult it was in 2019 to even get the numbers? Right? I do. Now, oh my God, those numbers. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you don't That's get a quote. That's what tends to be great. Yeah. <laughs> now we get a quote from a preferred travel supplier with sort of a forward looking, you know, think about these things. So that's been a complete 180 in terms of how that's positioned institutionally. So we weren't the only ones pushing that, but we were a big part of it. You know, we were running about a million dollar a year travel budget, obviously not at the moment. Um, we also, um, we did uh, add um, more staff offshore and opened up two different offices since 2019 and increased that. Um, and overall, we, we've been investing a lot in how we can feature the campus experience in ways that exceed a simple Zoom webinar sort of thing. So we've invested in some platforms that allow us to do that, um, virtual campus touring, you know, all those sort of things. Lots of campuses are doing pieces of that. I think what we've done is to be able to say, hey, let's let's lean into this for the next 10 years, not just the COVID adjustment period, because it links up to where we wanted to go without COVID. And because of it, let's go faster and harder and put more resource into that. So, and you know, the fact that the borders are have been more cautious here, because we've been wildly successful in our containment and elimination strategy, we've had fewer than 30 deaths due to COVID in New Zealand. We haven't had a case of community transmission in months. donkey months. Um, and you know, that does mean we'll be more cautious in, in reopening at volume, but that also gives us a really interesting um, space to, to, to prepare for all of that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is a really unique moment, I think, in our, in our history as a field. It is. And, and what do you think some of the greatest challenges might be when you do reopen? I mean, I've heard, I heard a term last week for the first time, which was revenge travel, that, you know, when borders open, people might just kind of rush. <laughs> and is that something that, you know, like even thinking about your own staff, I see you laughing, is it? <laughs> um, you know, do you think that that's going to be a phenomenon? I, I, I've talked to a few international office leaders who've said that they, they feel one of the problems is that their staff feel this kind of loss of identity at the professional and personal yeah, identities yeah. as travelers how, how are you thinking of managing that i think for me it's been coming to the realization you know we're such a close field and when you've been inside international education for a stretch a lot of your friends and you know colleagues work colleagues but also some of those really develop into close friendships and it becomes a big part of your support network, but also one that you don't really have to manage that much in between the next conference. Mm -hmm. and, and now that that's not happening, you know, well, how do I stay connected? And for me, it's been a bit of an eye opener to realize how weighted my life was towards the network externally in other countries, because that was so much a part of what I did. I didn't have to think about it. And now going, oh, hang on, what, what, you should probably build the same level right here, close to home. <laughs> um, in terms of the, the, the revenge travel, I think we've, we've had some emotions like that. Um, you know, Ainsley was recently able to get back home. I'm working on it. I haven't seen two of my daughters for over two years, which really weighs on me, and I'm working on a trip there. But I think we're in a little bit of a different boat from many of our colleagues, even you, um, Elsa, in, in Melbourne, in that 
we had a relatively brief period of lockdown in the greater scheme of things and have been able, you know, life inside New Zealand has very, been very much as normal. And for me, not getting on long haul flights has meant I've had weekends to go and explore every nook and cranny of these shaky aisles. I've been to, you know, all the kitschy statues of trout and the, you know, I've, I've been everywhere that the weatherman mentions on the TV weather report. That was my bucket list for 2020. I know, I've seen your bloody pictures <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in lockdown, thanks. Yeah, yeah, so we haven't been as cooped up or as locked in as, you know, we empathize with our peers, but we just haven't experienced the depth of that in the ways that some, so many mm. other countries have, unfortunately. So, so that's, I mean, you are in this unique position. One thing, though, that I, you know, another way in which you're in quite a unique position, you know, there might be a few other universities in the world that are have the ability to be as influential as you in your national context, but there wouldn't be too many because, as you say, there's only the small handful of universities in New Zealand. You're the largest one. You've got the highest ranking. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've managed to kind of leverage that position to perhaps elevate the conversation in New Zealand around, around sustainability and climate action, which I know is very well advanced, but perhaps hasn't been as advanced in the context of international ed? It hasn't been as hard as all that. Um, the collective um, peak body for universities, Universities New Zealand, has been working with Education New Zealand and all the eight universities on how we address sustainability. It's something that resonates across the population anyhow, so it hasn't been a struggle. It's been a, um, a receptive environment to the message. Um, and I think that whilst uh, Auckland might be slightly different in the ability we have to influence the national debate, I do believe that there'll be receptive environments in other countries also where like-minded souls can progress this agenda with success. Yeah, although perhaps not always with as much government support. We are very fortunate in that, in that space as well. We have a government who is on board with the sustainability agenda, so. Yeah, fabulous. And so I recently um, got the chance to read a kind of preliminary unpublished chapter of the book, um, of chapter that you've been writing for a book on sustainability. Could you tell us quickly what that book is? And then I want to come back to a couple of the points you make in that chapter, because I think they're really interesting. I love the way how you make it sound like it's an exclusive pre-read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a sneak preview. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> It is um, very much about what we've been talking about now, about how an international office within a university can pursue its own climate journey, but also use its influence across campus, across its networks, and if you're a globally-minded university like us, across our global networks, to progress a sustainability agenda. And the various little things that we do and the impacts that the decisions we make have on enabling others to make decisions in that vein as well. Yeah, you, you used the, um, the term concentric circles or concentric ripples. So you, you feel that you can ripple out your impact. Could you expand on that a little one of you, please? Yeah, um, I, I think what we're trying to say, I mean, obviously we say at the beginning that you have to start with figuring out what your institutional agenda is not just the official one in your strategic plan. I mean, that's an important point, right? Because without those you know, sign markers, it's hard to, to, to do much, but also to take the temperature of what the real, you know, the reality of the appetite and you know, who, who's doing what and who's, who's owning what part of the agenda and so on. So that's something we spent some time doing. And in, in your time coming across um, with the project you helped us with and connecting with all those different offices really helped us in that sense. You went and met with so many different parts of the university that we were sending you to, but your synthesis helped us understand how that connected and how the different parts were going at different speeds. So that allowed us to really situate ourselves confidently, knowing that we were inside the university mission, appetite, support, climate. We weren't in left field. We weren't going a thousand times too fast. 
And then we could decide that in the areas that were under our direct purview and responsibility, where we could decide how fast to move the needle, mm -hmm. we made some choices to move that needle. And then we had a greater sense of partnership in on the other parts where we wanted to nudge, support, encourage, bring chocolates, request, push, but where it was clear that we didn't own that part of the agenda. So I think we, if we hadn't stopped to sort of do, I'm not quite sure what we called your project. I always call it our climate action audit. <laughs> you know, we hadn't stopped to have someone external come in and, and, and look at that with outside eyes. It would have been much harder for us to get that level of understanding of where do we sit inside the larger you know, ecosystem of the university. And then we could go further there. And then we were already at that point discussing this as Ainsley just described with our peak bodies, with government and so on. So that allowed us to really to, to move ahead in an informed way, kind of understanding where we sat. So then we could make decisions to push things, knowing, having confidence that we were pushing reasonably, setting ambitious goals, but, but reasonable ones that wouldn't miss the mark. It allowed us to be braver because we knew where we stood. Yeah. Right. Okay, oh, that's really interesting feedback, and I and I kind of love as well how it fits in with the the broader sustainable development goals, and how one of those goals is partnership, which kind of sits slightly to yeah. the side of all the other lofty goals around eradicating poverty and reducing inequality, and then you've got partnership, but actually it's kind of the core of yeah. how you get anything done. It's and, the one that I, wraps it all together. Yeah, yeah, um, and just for the the listeners out there, can you just tell everyone what this book is that your chapter is going to appear in? Yeah, and of so course, it's, it's edited by the wonderful Petulia Nicola in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. So I, this is a, a book that's going to be published by the Forum on Education Abroad, which is a big education abroad network in the United States that I, I've been a part of for quite a long time. Um, that is increasingly is known outside of the, the US as well. It's the standard setting organization um, mandated by the US government to set standards for the education abroad field in the States. And then, you know, they also provide a lot of useful insight to other countries. So we, we work within them here in New Zealand. Um, so I think the book is called um, International Education and Sustainability. And the co-editors are Karen McBride and Petulia Nicola. And Petulia, of course, is well known to Canny listeners. She has an Auckland PhD and um, is uh, working within the research agenda in her portfolio at Eastern Institute of Technology in Hawke's Bay. So a dear friend, and uh, it's, it's been really fun to collaborate with her on this, uh, this research project. Fantastic. Now, one other um, point that was mentioned in that draft chapter of yours, which I thought was really interesting and I just wanted to pick up on, was you talked about your partnerships even extending to external bodies such as, I think it was the city of Auckland, the, the local city council, and how they already have quite an advanced agenda as well around you know, sustainability and climate action. And, and it mentioned also regenerative ecotourism or regenerative tourism and I just wanted to kind of draw that link because I don't know if you saw a really excellent article in University World News a few weeks back around how we need a regenerative approach to international education more than just a sustainable one um, and in fact the authors of that great article are going to be on a future episode of this podcast so well done. tune in for that one um, but but the idea, and I might be paraphrasing this wrongly, but um, it's the idea is that you know sustainability is about maintaining things as they were, not depleting them, renewing them, which is great. But regeneration is actually more about transformation to something better, to to a, 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 an even better future. And I think that's a lovely concept that is so great to apply to international education in this context that we're looking we don't really just want to go back to how things were we want to change things up and and approach things and design the sector in a way that you know is more sustainable doesn't generate so much emissions has more care for how we can partner with others to really advance 
understanding and awareness of climate action in particular, but sustainability more broadly. It comes back to that inherent tension between international education and the carbon footprint. I think most of the people listening to this podcast will be furious advocates of the value of international education, but aware that there's a cost to that. And how do we balance that? And how do we not just offset the footprint, but to use an analogy I recently heard on the podcast, use our handprint to actively make a positive difference. And I think that that in this office, um, we're approaching it from both lenses, things we can do to reduce the impact of, of our work, but also how we can absolutely amplify the message across our networks, wherever they might be, influence our students' choices, influence our academics' choices, such that um, on balance, there's much, much less tension in the either or of international education. I'm, I'm such a passionate advocate for the benefits of learning abroad for young, for young people. I don't want that to be um, lost as an opportunity. So we need to find ways to bring benefit beyond, um, beyond the, the impact of the carbon. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, and I, and I yeah. love that you picked up on the, the handprint. I think that was Petulia Nicola's episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, can I add something to that? I recently uh, attended a workshop. So we've been working for many years with the city. We have formal relations with Auckland Council, you know, as an urban university. Our main campus is right, you know, inside the CBD, the Central Business District. So we, we collaborate with them a lot. And right now, for example, we're actually part of an exercise to develop a new brand for Auckland, the only, the only global city in New Zealand around sustainability. Um, and that's a wonderful partnership that the city wants to do that and is reaching out to higher education to partner. Um, that's probably not the case in every city around the world, but it, it's back to those circles and partnership and how we work together. But also because this operates under an organization called Auckland Unlimited, which carries the tourism and economic development portfolio for the city. And, you know, New Zealand is a high tourism destination. It has a very strong tourism brand. And so we've been advocating for our colleagues that handle the, um, the student component of that very large organization to work with us to shift the brand. Now that's been happening in some small ways, like you know, organizing activities that include um, you know, working with a local iwi tribe and doing some tree planting in a particularly important area some small pilot exercises that um, Ainsley and her team have been able to coordinate through this organization. But now it's really kicking up a notch. Um, they've, they've had a couple of academics, um, one who is, I think, from, from Griffith, uh, an Aussie, Suzanne Beckin, and then James uh, Higgum, who did a report actually analyzing the carbon footprint of tourism to Auckland. Now, in this category, this will sound a bit funny to our Northern Hemisphere colleagues, but be more comfortable to the down under people. Um, students come in the, under the tourism agenda. Now it's long stay tourists. And we do things like actually measuring the, um, the distributed cash flow of those students' parents coming to visit. Wow. And we have <laughs> estimates on what the average spend is per source market in the Auckland economy, not just the University of Auckland. And that's very beneficial. Um, in this particular instance, what we're aiming for is how to work with Auckland Unlimited and the city to shift the tourism to a more sustainable set of activities. So that has a whole range of things. For example, limiting the carbon emissions of people getting around inside the city and where they stay, um, having longer stays, um, just, just different ways of, of doing that. One of the key components is how we could work together to identify activities and options that are flagged for being particularly sustainable. So one of the key attractions for international students in New Zealand is to explore, it's a beautiful country. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly beautiful. So obviously you wanna get out of Auckland and you wanna to go to, you know, um, Milford Sound and all those magical places that you see in Instagram and so on. But can we offer those things with suggestions for choosing 
tour operators, destinations, ways of doing things where you can make a choice that's more sustainable. So it's not telling them stay home and don't go anywhere. Of course, that's part of what they're coming here for. But can we help identify ways where they can do that in a way that is more in line with the ethics that more and more international students are bringing to their choices? That, that's one of the ways we're partnering with them. And then just to, to raise awareness in the field overall, I mean, I think I sent you a photo, Elsa, but you would have loved the workshop they did. They actually took a bunch of concepts around steps that you could take and transformed it into a bit of a board game exercise. And I was there with, um, Ainsley couldn't attend that day, and we had some folks from different parts of international education, high school, English language sector, and they were all coming from very, very different um, angles, you know, connecting with this for the first time in different ways. So a lot of the conversation was about, hang on a minute, you mean the carbon footprint measuring starts from when they get on a plane in their home country to come to visit? <laughs> oh my God, we're starting off at a huge disadvantage because of the distance. So some of it was very basic, yeah, hang on, let's talk about what we mean by that. But then we moved into you know, different choices that one could make. It wasn't prescriptive, just figure out where you're at and figure out how you can reach up to the next rung on the ladder. Doesn't matter where mm -hmm. you're on the ladder. Let's work together to find the next rung so you can, you can figure out your next step up. You don't have to go from zero to 100, how to go from zero to 10 and then 10 to 20, 20 to 30. So that's kind of what we're discussing overall as a sector. And it, it's just great that our agenda is in really strong synergy with the city and with the, the tourism group uh, here in Auckland. That's fantastic. And as was, you know, one of the things I love about your approach is that you guys took ownership of this problem. You went, we as an international office recognize that we have to do something and we can do something and we will do something. And that's obviously, you know, like such a fabulous starting point. Otherwise, you're not going to get any progress. And one thing I really, I really love to hear from you, and I have no idea if you'll have anything, any particular insights on this or not, but has it had any impact internally on your team, on your staff, on the way that people approach their work? Has it been a positive? Like, are there any anecdotes you can share? That if you are a somebody in your you know, a similar position, sitting in an international office elsewhere, going, but you know, God, I'm not sure if my team would embrace it or how they'd react. What would you? What could you share? Starts at the really basic level with things like the university developing a new uh, sustainable events policy. And that team going, we need to talk to the international office. They're interested in sustainability. We need to get their perspectives. So we're being invited places to talk about sustainability. Mm. And that yeah. is excellent. Um, specifically about whether or not uh, the team is invested. COVID has helped, but <laughs> <laughs> we like to have a silver lining. Um, but uh, I think there's a bit of itchy feet, a bit of part of my identity is that I travel. So we're going to have to grapple that mm. when the border opens because we will not be operating in the way we were in 2019 ever again. Mm. We need to um, uh, adapt to that and move forward. And you know, some people are readily leaning into that and, and thankful for not having to spend 14 hours on a plane and others are a little more reticent. Mm. So maybe to contextualize a little bit for, particularly for our, our Northern Hemisphere colleagues, um, the international office here in Auckland is, is kind of an all-in comprehensive one-stop shop. So we do have direct carriage of recruitment of international students. And without COVID, we would have hit 10,000 international students. Uh, one in five of our student body are international. Um, and we do outbound, we coordinate partnerships, you know, we're involved right across the breadth and width of internationals throughout the university. Um, and one of the things that has been really helpful, which might not be inside the comfort zone of all of the Kenny listeners, is we're able to make a really direct link, a careful ethical academic link between our, 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 our passion and, 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 and goals for sustainability for us and for the planet, but we can also demonstrate the commercial value of that positioning. Yeah. And that's a very tricky space that I think some candy listeners are gonna turn off right now as I even say that word, right? <laughs> 
But you know, we are essentially running a pretty significant revenue stream for the university. We think a lot about how we do that. And we spend a lot of time focusing on our values and where it fits and how it contributes to the mission of the institution and so on. So it's not just a crass sales effort, but re reinforcing and strengthening our brand around sustainability. We're in this virtuous circle where we can say, international students want us to take a stronger position on sustainability. We just so happen to have real strengths there. So if we lift that up and tie them together, it's gonna to all reinforce each step of it. So in this past year, one of the things we've done, um, particularly in response to the reduced travel and worrying about maintaining our brand visibility um, is we've actually hosted a number of um, digital summits. Um, we co-hosted with Penn State, one of our key partners, 9,000 miles apart, we co-hosted the Times Higher Global Impact Summit, which focuses on sustainability. Um, and that was something that you know, maybe in normal times we might not have done, but looking at the convergence of being able to redeploy some staff because of the, the shutdown of the travel and the need to keep the brand visible, it just kind of all came together at the same time. And we said, you know what, let's do this. It was very, it was a lot of work but we got a lot of value out of it. And we were able to work with central marketing and comms and push out a whole central story every day during the summit. We had an update that ANC's team and our, and our colleagues in central communications put onto the staff internet. And we were able to pull out and highlight the interesting work that our researchers were doing on sustainability to tie a big bow around that. And then from the kind of more pure marketing and branding position, um, every year we publish a full report with one page on each SDG and reflecting the research we're doing on it. We make that very publicly available. We share a lot of our work there. And on our end, in our office, uh, from the Marketing for International, we commissioned a short hero researcher video to illustrate each of the SDGs. And we're working now to bring together some student stories. So we, we didn't, the international office didn't trigger that research work. That's not our role. We didn't go and tell those students to, to develop those projects, but we identified how those things played together. And then we commissioned the showcasing and the featuring of that. Even though the way we're showcasing and featuring it is about the overall brand rather than the direct student recruitment, we're able to demonstrate how that all ties together and is synergistic within the institutional agenda, where it fits with Auckland City, where it fits with government, and where it fits in our collaboration with the other eight universities. And I think that ability to tie all those circles together like that is pretty unusual in terms of the landscape of where most candy listeners would be working. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that's where you've been able to have the most impact or? Are there other areas where, where, where have you made the most difference with your work over the last couple of years, do you think? Well, I'd say it's really deciding to position sustainably right at the heart of the brand. It was coming through in our strategic planning, you know, and that, that's vice chancellor level, deputy vice chancellor, we're not responsible for that. It was coming through. But again, it comes back to what we were saying a little while ago. Because of the, the look at all of that that you helped us do in 2019, we felt informed and confident that we could go ahead and make more aggressive decisions than we would have normally done because we had that strong foundation. So then instead of asking ourselves, gee, I don't know if we should spend money on that. Does that make sense? It's not direct student recruitment. We could say, of course it does. That all leads to that. So let's just go off and right. do it. We didn't, we didn't waste a year asking permission. We just went, we're doing this. Anyone object? No, I can fund it. Okay, off we go. You know, so we just kind of stepped in and, and, and pushed, but, but knowing that we were pushing in a direction, we knew we had agreement on the direction. And then we were able to push faster because we'd established the agreement on the direction. That, that's the, I think that's really the big difference is that that prep work meant yeah. that we can go more quickly. But also for everybody else across the university, the fact that we've moved, it also gives them permission to. Yep. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, I love that. And I also love the whole, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> Personal <laughs> motto in life. 
Yeah, <laughs> I knew I knew that, Angel. Um, so, <laughs> so what next? What what's what comes next? Because I'm sure you have you have new plans. Well, I, I think what, a couple of things that we're we're working on. I mean, obviously, we're looking at our our, our 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 travel budget and trying to decide when can we emerge into a new normal. What's the new setting going to be? Um, one of the things that we're engaged in that we've talked about on lots of other podcasts, less from the sustainability angle, in our 2030 planning, we are leaning into many more of our students actually starting our degree offshore and online in a more intentional way for a whole, a whole bunch of reasons. And that ties into our sustainability agenda in, in, in multiple points. So that's a big piece of work for us. We're doing a lot of it now. So for example, we're actually at our 2019 record enrollment levels this year. Um, we've been very fortunate in that space. We've been very um, early to offer engage local engagement solutions for students. So in China, we allow our students to go to a Chinese campus, study with us online, but in the campus setting. We just rolled out a study hub in Vietnam. We're about to launch some things in India. Um, and that all connects back to our sustainability agenda. We're also um, working with Education New Zealand, which is one of the best marketing and branding organizations for international education in the world, prize after prize in terms of their marketing campaigns. And we have agreement with the other universities. You know, it took a while to reach that, but everyone has agreed that really focusing on sustainability and pulling it into our central national IE brand is a value to everybody. Now, each of our institutions will tell a different story within that, but we've agreed on an overarching brand and we're working towards that with, uh, with Education New Zealand and Universities New Zealand. Um, and then beyond that, we're, we're really just looking at taking the next steps in, we want to really centralize ease of access into our sustainability strategy. Um, that's partly marketing, but it's really more on comms and ease of use. One thing we heard over and over again over the past three years, the Times Higher Global Innovation um, Ranking, Impact Ranking, which is about the SDGs and the work universities do, the first year they ran it, only about a third of the normal field submitted because everyone went, oh my God, what a, that's so much work. We went, okay, let's do it. Let's lean into this and do it. And so we make a lot of our materials available and we've heard a lot from all different countries, how much people have come onto our website to look up how we did it as an early adapter. And, and again, that, that's thought leadership. I'm not recruiting a student with that, but it's the overall position of leadership that reinforces our brand and therefore has trickle down impact in terms of our brand in the market for our key KPI of student recruitment. So that's really important. Um, and then I'm gonna ask Ainsley to speak about some of the groundbreaking work her team is doing and how we can increase access for more vir virtual learning on the outbound side after COVID. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brett. So um, one of my teams, 360 International is responsible for the learning abroad agenda at the university. And for the last five years, we've been focused quite hard on increasing access for Māori and Pacific students. We set a goal such that um, we'd have parity in their level of population on campus with their participation in learning abroad, and we're closing it. And then COVID came. <sighs> Sigh. Um, but we were brave in learning abroad as well. So we moved very quickly to offer virtual opportunities to our students, evaluated what worked, talked to them, talked specifically to Amari and Pacific students who chose to participate and those who chose not to, to understand what was going on. And now we've um, have a specific, specific a set of programs that are um, of interest to Māori students. Uh, beneficial to them, to their communities, to the programming they're likely to do. And what we've seen is that in 2020, we increased the relative participation of Māori students in learning abroad through virtual programming over where we were in 2019, which was still a vast leap over where we were in 2018. So virtual has been um, a point of access for us to, to, to increase the diversity of the students participating in learning abroad. And what that means is much like digital student recruitment, we're not backing away from that. 
will be involved in some form of virtual learning abroad as we go forward, both as an entry point for students to get a taster, but also because not everybody has the resource, not everybody has the time to leave the country. And this gives our students an opportunity that, that otherwise they may not have. Wonderful. I think that's such a great point to perhaps end on that, that there are so many co-benefits to taking this, you know, centering sustainability and climate action in your, your international strategy. And that's such a classic example of where you can actually democratize access to global learning experiences by going virtual and having that lower footprint at the same time. So I think we're going to, going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. I could go for hours. I wish that we could do this in person over a glass of wine one day. Um, but that's fantastic. And I, I really think that a lot of our listeners will be inspired and have learned so much from your practical experience, which I think is really a world-leading experience. And I love that you just went, we are going to do this. And you took ownership of the problem and went, here we go. Um, and more power to your elbow, University of Auckland. Good on you. <laughs> Thank you, Elsa. <laughs> We're so we're so thrilled to be able to um, sponsor this inaugural run of the Kenny podcast. We we talk about it every time we can. Every <laughs> webinar we put in a shameless plug um, for such a wonderful grassroots movement. So we look forward to listening to each of the podcasts and the wonderful host CJ, even though she has a guest host this time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to the to the fall run of uh, what you've got queued up. Wonderful. Thanks so much. And it's been a pleasure having you. I'm sure we'll have you again in future. Welcome back. So that was really great, right? Uh, you definitely get a sense that all three of them could talk about this uh, for hours and that we're just starting to scratch the surface. Um, and I could have listened to them for hours, honestly. So do let us know what your key takeaways were and what some of your questions that it might have stirred up in you. So hit us up on Twitter at Canny Global. It's an account that likes to tweet and engage. So please don't hesitate to share your thoughts about uh, that conversation. Um, though hilariously, if you're still with us at the end of this podcast, you get to hear me share my favorite part about uh, the day that we recorded, which is where afterwards, um, when we were just talking about the interview and debriefing, where I, I quite literally was a fly on the wall. Um, Brett shares that one of his regrets from the conversation was that he didn't get to talk about cow farts. And I was so confused when he said that, like, actually, um, I had a record scratch moment when I heard him say that, but if you're familiar with New Zealand and the significance of dairy farming, you understand how there's like a genuine opportunity for Brett to talk about cow farts and he missed it and just didn't think to bring it up and actually seemed like quite super bummed about it. Um, so honestly, that's why I'm bringing it up and making sure that if you get the chance, um, that you hear him out on cow farts and how it's like a thing uh, in New Zealand. So also be sure to uh, ask him about this on Twitter. Um, but as always, thank you for listening and for joining us. Um, you know where to find us on the internet to share your thoughts. Um, and if not, you know, click on the show notes and you'll exactly know where to find us. So uh, next week's episode is super exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about, and you heard Ilsa allude to this in this conversation. Um, we're going to be talking to the authors of a really interesting article that was circulated around this summer about regenerativity in international education and what that might mean for the sector. So um, be sure to uh, subscribe to the channel and to our podcast so that you don't miss out. All right. Bye, everyone. The Canny Climate Dialogues podcast is engineered by Diego Mendez, who is based in Vancouver. He edits these episodes together, making us look and sound super professional. And also, he uploads these episodes to wherever you listen or watch this podcast. <laughs>